Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the afternoon session here on Ausbiz. Great to have your company as we kick off the PM with the call. 10 stocks that you've suggested we have a look at. I put them to an expert panel for their adjudication. I throw in a stock of the day, something that's been in the news. Uh, let's get stuck right into it, though. Uh, terrific panel today. Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Gary, good to see you here in the studio. Thanks, yeah. uh, welcome back to the city. Yes. Oh, done. That's good. <laughs> no trouble getting in? Not for me, though, no, lucky okay. enough. Okay. Yeah. All right. First day back in, in the city of Sydney. And he does it on a day with train strikes and pouring rain. So right. not the best day to come in, but good to have you in the studio. Scott Phillips uh, from Motley Fool joins us from the Southern Highlands, which is getting a drenching as well. Scott, how are you, sir? Toshi, very well, thank you. And your good self? Uh, yep, very good. Keeping. Uh, are you keeping up to date with the, the wash of earnings coming through? It's absolutely phenomenal at the moment. Um, I'm going to cheat a bit and have two stocks of the day. Because they've uh, they've released earnings today. Uh, this half hour on the show, we're going to uh, run through Data Three, uh, Vital Life Sciences, Washington H. Sol Patterson, Castillo Copper, uh, and Step One Clothing. But um, as I said, a lot of earnings coming out today, and so uh, I thought I'd choose two quick ones that are favourites of the uh, of the call here. Uh, first up, Coles maintaining its dividend despite first half net profit being lower on the back of uh, elevated COVID costs, taking a $150 million bite out of the bottom line. Revenues up slightly, sales higher in the first quarter with the restrictions starting to ease. Things are looking up for the second quarter. Um, Scott, what did you think of the Coles result? I didn't think it was a terrible result, quite honestly, given those circumstances you just mentioned. The fact that last year we had really elevated sales and profit for revenue growth of 1%, I thought it was a really, really good result at a top line level. Bottom line, I think the, the cost thing you mentioned is a really, really important one. We may or may not talk about it through the rest of the program, but the cost inflation right across corporate Australia is really marked this, this time. I think if you ask me about the themes from February 2022, I actually think cost inflation would be the one, whether it's Coles and Woolies when it comes to COVID costs, even people like you know some of the uh, IT companies who've been having to pay through the nose for techies to come and work for their businesses. It's a, it's a really important one. So not a terrible result. The watch out for me for Coles, even though the shares are up today, is you got that, you know, now prop down a little bit, but still on a relatively elevated level of sales. And remember, of course, that while we did cycle on a great year last year, the last six months, July to December, was also marked by lockdown. So it wasn't like we've gone from COVID to non-COVID times. I'm not sure what the actual numbers would look like in terms of the number of days locked down uh, in Victoria, certainly a whole lot less this time around, but it wasn't exactly a free half. So I wouldn't be at all surprised this time next year to be talking about another profit decline on the back of a sales mm. decline this time, because we do go back to cafes and restaurants simply buy a little bit less from Coles. Okay, so um, do you like Coles at these levels? 
I don't, mate. I can't pay no, that yeah. price. Both Coles and Woolies are pretty expensive, given the given yeah. the relatively anemic level of growth. The dividend's pretty good. I don't mind it. If, you, if you're looking for a super cornerstone, uh, I'll say underperformer. No one really looks for underperformers. But if you want a cornerstone position in your portfolio, you can do a lot worse than Coles. But no, I wouldn't be buying it, mate. Okay. Uh, Gary, what do you think? Yeah, the similar view to Scott there, really. So not, not great. Not cheap prices here. But I mean, uh, look, I do tend to think that the cost will be probably, you know, like, like a lot of businesses are, are definitely having those cost rises there, but I think kind of Woolworths and Coles there, they've probably had a, you know, the COVID cost, the cleansing, you know, yep. the total, you know, they've been probably over the top on that, that right. side. So if, once we get through COVID, I think those those costs will really drop off quite substantially. Right. And I still think those businesses will be in more dominant positions. It's going to take a little while for some of these small operators to get back and going again. Yep. So, so I don't sort of see that being, I actually think the cost will probably taper right. off so okay. maybe sales will taper off but so will cost so i think right. profitability will still remain pretty robust for okay. those sectors so would you I be th- buying coals at loot i prefer woolies right um but right now actually i think west farmers near 48 dollars is probably more attractive than the other two is that's mm. come off from 65 back to 48 yep. yeah. big, big technical level for me around 48 so um been watching that pretty closely watching for it to come down notice it got really close here today right um so you got to kind of buy these stocks, good stocks, when they're on on. Okay, on so sale a bit. if uh, you're saying if it drops below forty eight, uh, hold off. If it bounces off forty eight, then West Farmers is a buy. Yeah, I just noticed West Farmers has been coming off quite a bit. Yeah. So in terms of sort of areas of support, forty eight looked like a a big level where I, I think it might be the first support zone where it might get some support. Right. So for clients looking to top up, like uh, oftentimes they might just trim portfolios like stocks like. West Farmers and BHPs and, you know, like right now Woodside's on fire. So you yeah. might do some trimming here and then look to buy it some back right. later on when they're not on yep. fire. So yep. definitely okay. West Farmers have trimmed some of that. So I'd be looking to probably add some of it back in again here. Mm. So Okay. Yeah. Um, the other stock that I thought I'd throw in is another favourite. One of our big health stocks here in Australia, global ones, sort of part of the, the big four, I suppose. Cochlear, maintained full year profit guidance, hiked its interim dividend despite profits sliding 28% as margins came under pressure. Group reported an increase in revenue, but said its net profit margin was likely to remain below its target of 18% for the next uh, year or two. Shareholders receive a $1.55 a share dividend. That's up 35%. Um, Gary, what do, you, what do you think of Cochrane? Yeah, it's a great result. Obviously, um, um, head of expectations by some margin. So market's going to receive that pretty well. Hence, we've got a bit of a jump here. So I think yeah. that's quite good for the share price in the short term. Still got to look at the val. You know, still we're still looking at you know what, 45 for probably looking at about 38 PEs for next year. So with that guidance being a bit higher, maybe that's around 35, 36 times. So still still pretty pricey. Yeah, but obviously a great business. Always pay a premium from great business. But I think CSL probably got cheaper at the last low. Yep. and probably a better business on a, on a lower multiple. Right. Cochlear is still on a reasonable multiple, even though that's a bit of an upgrade. Yep. Um, the PE is still pretty high, so short term probably go higher, but I don't think it goes too much higher because I still think the PE is mm. reasonably demanding. Okay, Scott, Cochlear? I agree with Gary's view on the short term PE. I've probably got a more robust long term expectation on Cochlear Koshi, and it's Kind of, it comes down to the, the sheer long-term tailwinds of this business. Now, also, let me put the risks up front. 
Uh, it deals with a, a mechanical solution, let me call it, or, or an IT solution to what could be solved with things like gene therapy in future. So that's the big watch out. Other than that, if you think about the growth of the developing world, the, the growth of wealth, the growth of the number of people, the growth of medical interventions in the developing world, and think about cochlear's long-term tailwinds. You've got probably two-thirds of the world who can't afford cochlear implants right now. China's got a program underway that it does relatively regularly for that sort of stuff, but even there, the actual diagnosis is really low as a percentage of the population. So if you kind of think about the next 20, 30, 40 years, and I'm, I'm literally looking out this far, I think cochlear is a really good, super long-term, probably one of the best long-term options in Australia, mm -hmm. again, asterisk on that potential gene therapy or something else that might undermine its market and frankly be a good solution for those with hearing hearing issues uh, so i can't complain too much if that is the case but if as long as you keep a watch out for that one the sheer growth of the company's potential market over those few decades i think it's going to be it won't be only astronomically it won't be you're not talking about you know 25 percent a year type stuff but really 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 good long-term compound growth on the back of people who can afford it people who are getting the medical intervention around much of the developing world. Right. So I really like Cochlear for the ultra long term. It's a great cornerstone position. It's not cheap right now, Gary's exactly right. I reckon though, if you've got a 10 plus year time horizon, Cochlear is a good investment. Okay, all right. So uh, yes from you for the long term. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, uh, let's get into the stocks that you've suggested we have a look at. And uh, Scott Parker wants a view on Data3, the the technology, uh, cloud, mobile, data, analytics business? I like Data3's performance, Koshi, but I really struggle with its business model. IT services businesses, which is broadly this company, uh, do a whole lot of other stuff. It's, it's, I mean, look, it's a, it's a great business with a lot of different moving parts, but fundamentally, it's in the business of helping clients solve their IT problems. On one hand, Super great tailwinds, right? When is that going to stop? When is when is the growth, the expansion of tech going to stop? I don't know. On the flip side, if you look at both the structure that is really high fixed cost, people, staff trying to go and get business. On the other hand, you've got the trend towards the cloud, which is really, we feel like it's been around forever, right? But it's probably still on the, I don't know, let, let's call it the, uh, the, the second morning of, of a five-day test. Um, <laughs> there's so much more to go when it comes to the growth of this organized, this, this technology, right? At some point, you don't need an IT services team at all, either on in-house or external. Now, plenty of people in IT now looking at, you know, hearing this, seeing this, and yelling down the, the, the device at me and saying, oh, of course you will. But if you think about the growth of zero and cloud accounting, think about the growth of internet banking, Microsoft is now effectively a subscription business. There yeah. will always be integration required, but the self-serve, do-it-yourself, and frankly, the, the ability to make cloud systems and services interoperable is really gonna, I think, put this business at some degree of long-term risk. It's growing really nicely. Earnings-wise, it's been a fantastic chart, not not share price-wise, but, but earnings price-wise. If you look at where they've gone in terms of the growth of their profit over time, they're doing really, really nicely. And you, But the problem is you're paying 33 times that elevated level of profit. If they can keep growing at these rates, spectacular. I get the tailwind from tech. I think the headwind, the opposing headwind in my view is the growth of cloud, Amazon Web Services, the whole box and dice. I do wonder at some point in the future how much you're going to need people like Data3. Maybe they'll morph yeah. their own business, by the way, and that's also possible. But if you said to me, do you want to pay 33 times earnings for an uncertain future? I'm saying mm -hmm. no thank you, particularly on these elevated levels of earnings. Yep. Gary? Yeah, not too dissimilar to Scott there. Look, it has been a great business here. Or has, sorry, it's, it's been a very good business. Um, <clears throat> but the multiple is pretty high here as well. So even yeah. on sort of forward... You know, I think we're on about 28 times you know, next year's earnings there. It's still pretty high. So 
Scott's right, there's some risk to this business. Um, but I mean, just, just from a pricing point of view, looking at the price action, we saw a bit of a rejection there uh, about four or five weeks ago of an old high, and we're seeing quite a bit of selling volume on the way down as well. So <laughs> technically, I don't like the look of it at all, like on the chart right. here. So right. how it's been trading the last sort of uh, couple of months is pretty negative to me. So I would look, just look from a pure technical point of view, tells me it can come back to 450, which would probably put it back on a, a more reasonable sort of multiple. Um, but valuation wise, still pretty pretty pricey here. And yep. you know, if you have the view that there's going to be a tech crunch, and that growth stocks are going to get crunched a bit harder in the next sort of three to six months, which I do, then I, it's just not a stock I would be playing in. Right. So okay, um, yeah. All right. Uh, so you're saying if you've got tech stocks that you, uh, we had Altium yesterday on the show, good tech stock. Uh, Mathan uh, was saying, "Yep, good business." He's in your cap. Tech crunch coming, middle of the year. Maybe look at it and put on your watch list as one of those great tech stocks that you know you're waiting for the big pullback. Yeah. So when the Nasdaq's sort of maybe off forty percent here by middle of the year, yeah. and stocks are looking a little um, cheap at that point, you kind of probably got to look through that sector and look at the ones that actually have relative strength. So the ones yeah. that have probably held up the best. Right. So there's going to be a bit of carnage there, yeah. but some of those stocks will mm. probably will hold up better than others, and the, the ones that have held up relative strength price-wise, they're the ones to look at there, because okay. they're the ones that um, people have already started buying into that into right. that weakness already. Sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, Ben wants a view, uh, Gary, on Vita Life Sciences. Gary says, looks like a steady company in the healthcare pharmaceutical space. Share prices jumped substantially over the past six months. However, is the lack of liquidity a bit of a turnoff? It's in over-the-counter medicines, health supplements, vitamins, that sort of area. This is a bit of a surprise on the list actually to me. Sort of uh, didn't really know this business too well. Of the 10 today, this has definitely got my attention the most. Ah. Um, so we've only got a 102 mil market cap and we've just done uh, full year revenue of around 53 mil. So right. it's only trading two times revenue. Yeah. Um, been around for a long time, a 10 years history. Probably nine of those 10 years, it's grown its, its revenue line and its profit line, but it's been very slow. So it's sort of just incrementally getting, yeah. um, the last year or two actually started to see a little bit of traction. So that growth is actually starting to get a bit more traction and right. uh, really coming through from Malaysia and Singapore. So I know sort of vitamins, supplements is uh, interesting. I, I'm, I, I think the sector's still got a bit more growth in it, but yeah, we're on a P of 15 for something actually that's starting to get a little bit more growth here. This is the one that's pretty interesting. The only negative for me is that the price has jumped a lot in right. the last six months. Yeah. So, um, but I think this looks pretty, for me actually, I put this on, on my radar and thought, well, if this had a bit of a sell-off here, right. this might be one to jump on because it's really had a really stable history of sort of growing and they've kept it pretty tight too. So right. margins, it reads me well managed for a small, it's just, when you're a small listed company like 100 mil, you've got a lot of costs. Yep. Um, so you really need to get a certain scale before you can really take advantage of that. So we might just be approaching that tipping point for this company mm. to get a bit of scale. So definitely one here to um, have a, you know, have a closer look at there. But yeah, I, okay. like, what I, I like what I saw. Okay, yeah. Scott? I like the company as well. I like the potential that it's, I should have a Blackmore shareholder. So in this space in particular, and I do think there is seriously long-term tailwinds for these sorts of businesses. As Gary's already mentioned, particularly into Asia, um, 
it, it's a hard nut, nut to crack. Uh, we know that in China, Blackmores, A2 Milk, plenty of other Australian companies had great success. And then all of a sudden, a couple of lean years, it can be a really difficult market. The flip side, of course, is that the size of Asia in population terms alone is astronomically larger than Australia. Now, most of those people won't be able to afford health supplements. So you've got to discount it for that. But the opportunity for these companies, if they get it right, really is multiples of the Australian market. And that's rightly where they're turning their focus. This international success has been pretty good. Um, the business does a really nice job of finding a way to get into those international markets, largely partnering or finding their own way, depending on the market. So I, I like the growth potential of, of Vital Life Sciences. If you look at the business, though, the real concern, I suppose, they hit a high, a profit high about five years ago. And then the profit kind of drifted away for the subsequent three or four years before turning around the last two. We're now back to the level of profitability they had five or six years ago, which if you're an optimist, you say, great, they're getting back on the horse. If you're a pessimist or maybe a realist or somewhere in between, you say, is this another high point? In other words, 17 odd times earnings looks reasonably attractive for, for the growth, as Gary said. If though, this becomes one of those cyclical businesses and the next couple of years are tougher, all of a sudden you're paying 25, 30, 35 times for a business in declining uh, growth rather than rather than, well, declining business, yeah. rather than a growing business. And that's probably the, the key question for, for the businesses. Do they have enough tailwind? Do they have enough momentum to keep this growing? Or is this a bit of a cyclical, we have some good years, we have some bad years? Because a cyclical business, you want to pay a multiple of the average earnings through the cycle. And if you're looking at that, all of a sudden this becomes 30, 35, almost 40 times earnings. If you believe this is a stop on the way higher, then it gets very, very cheap very quickly because if they grow profit another 25 or 30%, you're paying a PE of 12 times. Right. And that gets really cheap really fast. So that's the challenge, I think, with the business. I'm not sure that I'm confident enough to say they've necessarily cracked that nut permanently. I do like the opening borders. I like the Daigu trade. I like the Asian exposure. So I wouldn't argue against an investment in Vital Life Sciences. Certainly, the recent track record, if you're a momentum investor, and again, not share price momentum, but business momentum, then there's plenty of opportunity, to my mind, in Vital Life Sciences. There's plenty of potential, maybe, rather than opportunity. You just got to be mindful it's a higher risk scenario because of that volatility in the past. I'm, I don't know enough to be confident enough that this is yeah. a, a newly sustainable level of profitability and more importantly, that it can grow from here to justify the PE rather than falling back. If you want to take a nibble, maybe now is a decent chance. Certainly one for the watchers, as Gary said, um, it's, it's pretty inexpensive if, if that level of profitability is sustainable. Okay. It's just that it's really gone from 120 here in what July to, yeah. to $2 mm -hmm. here. So that's sort of, that's the only negative is yeah. that it's already had a big jump here. So let's say like the, the revenue line has been pretty steady. Like it's sort of slowly growing. It's sort of slow in the early years and then it's just, it, you see so, so a little bit of traction there. So that's why the share price has moved here. But so that, that's the risk here is that your yeah. price has moved sure. with that extra bit of growth here. So yeah. whether, you know, whether it continues okay. or not. Wait for yeah. a pullback. Um, uh, Scott Alex wants a view on uh, Washington H. Sol Patterson. Basically, it's mm. it's basically a listed investment company, isn't it? Uh, with interest in New Hope, uh, Brickworks, TPG, mm. uh, and a few others there. Yeah, it is. Uh, full disclosure: I own shares in this one. It's been a long-term holding and long-term recommendation of ours. I like Sol Pats a lot. Um, it's the, the other thing about it, by the way, is that last time they put out some numbers, the share price is down a little bit now, so I'm not sure this is 100% true still. But last time they put out some numbers, they'd beaten the market over 1, 3, 5, 10, and 15 years. Wow. And a lot of people look at Sol Pats and go, boring listed investment company, who cares, why bother? Uh, let me find some excitement somewhere else. I think it's a really big mistake. So when you're buying Sol Pats, you're buying, you're buying those listed investments. Now, by the way, the share price is actually cheaper than the total value of those investments. So you're getting the investments at a discount. That's a pretty good starting point. 
But what you're getting is the fourth generation of the family who's run the company for more than 100 years. And so this is a business that, you know, most of the family money is tied up in, in shares of Solpats. So you're getting the businesses for cheaper than their, their actual share price, listed share price. Plus you're getting the management team, not only for free, but at a discount, as I said, because of that cheapness. Um, you're getting a cross year holding of Brickworks, of course. And that makes valuation a little bit tricky because Solpats owns 45 odd percent of Brickworks. Brickworks owns 40% of Solpats. Um, yep. It's an arrangement, arrangement sorry, it's not allowed anymore by the, by the regulator, but it's been grandfathered in because it was an old one. It was designed originally to stop the companies being taken over by the corporate raiders uh, of the time. It's a really high quality business. It's been run really, really nicely. They are long-term investors generally, but everything's always for sale. If they find a good price for an asset, they'll happily sell that asset to the highest bidder. They'll put more of that money to work. The API investment they have currently is probably not long for this world because it's gonna be taken over by West Farmers in all likelihood. And so that'll have some, some cash to redeploy at that point, whether it's a special dividend to shareholders or money gets reinvested in the market. They're a listed investment company in in structure, that's absolutely true. Mm. But they're very different to Afik and Argo and the others. It kind of it's kind of those guys are largely indexed plus a bit. They might change some weightings. Solpat's major investments are individual company investments. Yeah. It's more like Berkshire Hathaway, I own shares in them too, um, than it is uh, the standard LIC because they take really large chunky holdings in the businesses they like a lot of. They do run a small equity portfolio as well, but this is more a controlling interest listed right. investment company. It makes it a bit more volatile potentially. Certainly means that the risks and reward are probably higher than your average LIC. But these guys, just they're so well run. The results are really, really good. We know the Milner's a little bit. I like it. Like the, the team a lot. Todd Barlow, the CEO, is also a great guy. Um, they, they're just they, they're old school, you know, value maximizers. And mm -hmm. when you got them on your team, as I said, for cheaper than the asset value, it, to my mind, over the long term, if you're a long term investor, this is the cornerstone position for your portfolio. Okay, Gary. Yeah, Scott's covered it, uh, you know, well and truly there. So I, I agree with everything Scott sort of said right. there. And really, it's um, yeah, it's a great asset. It's, it's hard to value because of its structure. Yeah. And uh, I mm. like the Berkshire Hathaway um, reference because that, that really sort of does sort of epitomise what it does because it's not like a lots of, you know, positions here. Really quite, you know, quite sort of, um, so big positions in key yeah. stocks there. So they yeah. really go ham, mm. they, they take a big stake in each of those as well. So, I mean, the, the share price has come back from what, $41 back to 25, 25 here. Yeah. yeah. The, the, it's hard to value because yeah. of the because of the structure. Um, but these guys have got a, you know, the, 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 the history of the performance there, return on equity for the business has been sensational. So it can be a bit lumpy in its earnings, obviously based on them buying and selling assets and yep. exiting and so when you return. So you do kind of have to, it's funny actually, I, when I looked at this yesterday, I actually rang a few clients and started buying some because because oh. uh, I'd sold some of this stock in the high 30s right. for a few clients, just trimmed a bit of a few portfolios. Yeah. And I thought, wow, it's, you know, it's come off a lot here. So yeah. looked on the charts, it's actually come back on the weekly range, come back past the 61.8. So it's had a really deep retracement here. Um, the multiple didn't look um, expensive to me. And just the fact that I've sort of sold a few much higher, yeah. I thought really got to top them up. This is a great business, great return mm. equity long term. Yeah, we go through the assets in there as well. Um, there's some great businesses within their yep. structure. Yep. And, and most of them are performing pretty well. The only one that was sort of negative was uh, they were going to do an IPO for Round Oak, right. which got delayed. So that's probably been the only negative sort of in there. But I know no one loves the coal there in New Hope, but the, at the end of the day, they're going up. <laughs> so <laughs> the price is actually going well, up. So you, these assets you, are getting- New Hope and Whitehaven yeah. are basically yeah. massive cash generators yeah. at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, it's so it's, it's a great business. So I, I actually think this is, I think this okay. is a buy here uh, for sure, 100%. Buy at these levels. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Uh, thank you for that, Alex. Now, Felicity and Archer, we had two viewers. Uh, one of you, Gary, on Castillo uh, Copper. Uh, they have copper, uh, zinc and nickel projects here in Australia and uh, also in Chile. Uh, dipped their toe into a couple of lithium projects, but looks as though they pulled out of those. Yeah, look, uh, 29 mil market cap, so it's right. tiny. tiny. Yeah. Uh, share price is obviously, what, two and a half, two, 2.1 cents, so yep. high of here of eight cents, so looks really ugly, technically. Yeah. Um, only 7% of the stock is held by insiders, so they're not even really interested in holding their own right. shares. Okay. Um, so I went through the register, a couple of names on there who, you know, more, more sort of, um, yeah. Careful. Yeah, sort of more, more project oriented <laughs> rather than uh, long term oriented. So just, right. yeah, look, it's just, yeah, so it's just another, it looks right. like a shelf. So look, to me, it's a, it's a no go, 100% no yeah. no go. Yeah. Okay, Scott? Yeah. yeah, can't disagree with Gary on that one. It, this is, you know, so try, try to work out share price movements on businesses that don't do much, if anything at all, really comes down to sentiment and, and the excitement or, or pessimism of the market. So if you're looking out, Three, even five years on this one, the chance that the share price halves and doubles half a dozen times between now and then is pretty high. Now, which yeah. way does it go from when and how long does it take? They're super open questions. There just literally is no way to know. And these hope always springs eternal. There will be the occasional success story out of these sorts of businesses that deliver you know, spectacular gains. Everyone says, I want the next one of those. Yeah. There's also going to be dozens that don't do anything at all and actually probably lose your money. In fact, definitely lose your money. And so the, the odds of getting the right one are really low. But the possibility, as always, that's why these things are so attractive for those who kind of want the lotto ticket idea is, what if it becomes the next, and then insert favorite company here, then, yeah. you know, biotech, everyone says the next CSL, and mining, it's the next Fortescue. The chances aren't particularly high, just mathematically, right? Just, just law of averages, let alone this particular business itself. You, you can't recommend an investment in it. Sure. It's, it's, spec, it's pure speculation. I said, maybe the price goes up, maybe it goes down. I'm not here to say what may or may not happen in the next 12 months. It could, you know, Couple of couple of exciting announcements, a couple of overexcited traders and some chat room chatter, and all of a sudden the share price is doubled, and people say, "See, I told you." Or the reverse happens. Everyone gets disappointed. They move on from copper to something else. The share price halves, and we're in the yeah. same boat. So, uh, look, I have no view on the speculation in the short term, but as an investor, you can't buy these shares with anything approaching fundamentals. It's it's literally a lotto ticket. Okay. All right. Uh, fifth stock, uh, the final one for this half hour. Scott Johnny wants a view on Step One Clothing the uh, men's undie business that makes them out of bamboo, I think, so you don't get itchy around the nether regions. Yes, thank you for uh, explaining that one. Koshish has me having to do it. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it looks so, Step One is an interesting business. It's a sort of company with that um, a single product for now, at least riding on the back of, of really good success. So the first thing is these guys have stumbled onto what stumbled onto. They've created, they've built, they've, they've established a really strong direct-to-consumer business. Yep. And that's nothing to sneeze at because that's really, really hard to do. And as you say, it, it's particularly in this category where you've got to kind of be a little bit, you know, you've got to grab attention without being over the top and you've got to try and yep. re, you know, thread that needle. They've done a really, really nice job. So the business is growing nicely. That's why it's listed. They've listed to capitalize on, on the success they've been having and that's great. The question really moving forward is, how long does a men's undie business succeed and grow from this point, given what it's doing, given the categories and all that kind of stuff? It's a super new uh, listing, IPO'd only recently, yeah. not a lot of data available for it. I generally don't like those businesses. I like to wait at least 12 months from listing 
see one full set of annual reports, the annual and interim, or interim and then annual, whichever way the order goes in their in their reporting cycle, just to see the shape of the PL, what changes as a public company, and also whether they can keep that growth going. Because if you're a private equity seller, when do you want to sell? You want to sell when the performance looks really, really great. Yeah. If it's going to keep being great, you're probably going to hang on. If it's not, well, you're going to take the opportunity to flog it to the market. Now, plenty of IPOs have gone on to do really well, by the way. Others have done badly. So I'm not suggesting this has to be a terrible investment from here. Just really, really hard to know whether there's enough growth left in this category. They've got the early adopters. They've got the DTC, the direct-to-consumer business. What's the next leg of growth? They'll have plenty mm. of plans. So I can be wrong. They will have an answer to that question. But it's all a bit hard to know yep. in the future. Early. So as a new IPO, I'd be giving it 12 months and, and, and looking yep. at it again in maybe this time next year. Gary? Yeah, I mean, there's a thing about these IPOs that, like, a lot of times, um, I mean, this is like a 153 IPO, got to 313 in the first two or three weeks. Um, And that can happen, uh, it can happen actually a lot more than you think, actually. There's always a sort of bit of a stag, I mean, it gets excited by the product, and um, and they often come on really hot, and then they fade, and it usually coincides with actually not much news coming news. out so the news yeah. is out the first couple of weeks you get, get some positive it's news been, it's been hyped up yeah um, marketing machine is That's in right. full swing yeah and then after that the news dries up and then you'll see the price actually drop as well come yeah. come all the way back so come back way below the 153 so back to 110 yeah. here so i like scott i like to sort of think you know at least sort of nine months or took to 12 yeah. months is sort of that you know price come back here so and you kind of want to see this price action building as well yeah. you know you really you're kind of catching a falling knife in a way here and there was, I think, around the Black Friday sort of sales, they had a few logistic issues as well. Right. So um, there was some disruption actually getting, um, you know, the, their undies out and um, there was an overclaim on a GST issue as well. Right. So okay. just a few little negatives in there that sort of come out. So, um, but you probably want to see the share price heading in the right direction, but it, they can sort of go dormant for six to nine months of share price after the bit of a hype. So yep. I'd be sort of waiting for that to okay. cool off here. All right, let's uh, recap the uh, first five stocks. Our stocks of the day, Coles, uh, a note from both Gary and Scott. Cochlear, um, for, for Scott, one of those long-term foundations uh, stocks that if you're going to be investing for 10 years, yes, buy it now, a no from Gary. Uh, Data3, a no. Uh, Vitalife, um, interesting, a no from both. Uh, Gary would be uh, interested if there's a bit of a sell-off in Vital Life Sciences. Keep it on your radar. It's had a really good run up. So when it comes down again, both impressed with the business. Uh, Sol Pattinson, um, a yes from both of them. Um, Scott again explaining uh, Sol Pattinson is just one of those good cornerstone stocks for a, a long-term portfolio. Uh, Castillo, a no, and Step 1, a no. Uh, here on the call, we've been uh, following our own fantasy portfolio since uh, we started almost two years ago. Uh, for the week, uh, the fantasy portfolio is down a percent, down 3.8% for the month, uh, up 1.5% since the 1st of July 2021, and since the 1st of July 2020, up almost 37%. And uh, next week, we're going to rejig the calls portfolio for it to become. Um, if you like a high conviction fund with less stocks in the uh, in the portfolio, and the recommendations from our experts, two buys or two sells, will go to an investment committee, which we will take you inside, so you get to understand how the experts put together portfolios. So uh, keep sending your stock requests in, and uh, we'll cover it as usual here on the call. But uh, we're just 
developing or evolving the fantasy portfolio. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Five stocks we're going to cover next, Transurban, Block, Piedmont Lithium, Avita Medical and APA Group. Um, Gary, Peter wants a view on Transurban. Um, he's having difficulty following the broker recommendations on this and, and how they assess it. He's finding brokers have seem to have different earnings per share um, forecasts. Uh, different dividend forecasts going forward. And he's wondering why that happens and how do you assess trends? Yeah, I mean, the, the couple of things there, obviously, um, yeah, major disruption from COVID here. Yeah. But you've also got, um, for this business, interest rates have a, um, a really big impact on the bottom line as well. So, right. um, so, so different analysts would have different expectations to what oh, the right. interest rate would be here for the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Okay. So we, know, well, we know the rates are going higher in the US. Um, the governor here is a little slow to follow the rest of the world, but at some point here we're going to get some rate yep. movements moving higher as well. So that, that will sort of impact um, right. the bottom line. But it's um, look, it's it's a funny business here. You think this is a business which which will recover yep. and will start to sort of improve here, and I think because the of tollways, motorways, more cars that's coming right. back yeah. onto the road. Yeah, you click over your your e-tag. That's right. It goes so, their bottom line. Yeah, so I think the growth that we're going to see in the next couple of years is going to be quite substantial because we're coming off a low base here. Yep. So, but there's a little bit of damage here in this having to, having to wait here for a couple of years without without any earnings. So, yep. so the PEs look a little high here at the moment, but but there is going to be a massive shift in earnings as well. So, that's that's probably one of the reasons why it's different different brokers, right. different balance, and plus interest rates, and plus trying to work out you know are we sure. going to go back to normal as well. So. Um, yeah, but I mean, look, I actually don't mind the business here. I think it's not a bad time here, but this, the PE looks pretty high, but I, I understand why that is the case because earnings are going to improve rapidly here. Right. So, you know, I think maybe closer to $12 is not a bad price down here. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, just that's the tricky aspect here, I guess, at the moment. When to get in. Yep. Yeah. Scott? Yeah, it's really difficult, Koshi. The, the earnings thing is actually a bit of a furphy slightly because of the way this business is structured. Like lots of property trust structure with operating businesses, uh, earnings normally are terrible and the dividends are normally multiples of the earnings because the way the cash flow is worked out and the reported earnings turns out if you make not much in the way of earnings, you get to claim massive tax deductions, but you still get to pay a lot of cash because the way the law is written. That's completely legal, by the way, completely appropriate. Sydney Airport was the same when it was listed, uh, Transurban, plenty of others besides. So the earnings number is probably not worth a super huge amount of focus. You need to look at the cash flow you're getting from a business like Transurban. I think Gary's right, and you're right yourself, Koshi, in terms of the way we will return to toll roads. The big questions for me, I suppose, are how long it takes for that recovery to happen, particularly with this flexible working arrangements. Imagine that you know, we go back to the office maybe only three days a week, four days a week. Maybe some people never go back to the office. So you might find that the return to business as usual, while it'll happen, we'll end up with more cars on the roads for sure than we have today, or than we had two years ago, maybe more to the point. But it might take a long time to get there. And if it does, the current price doesn't look super attractive. It's a really high quality right. asset. You're not going to replace it. They've got 
inflation-linked price increases, toll increases. Governments love it. One of the great things to know about Transurban, by the way, is these guys are absolute masters in solving government problems for them. So Transurban's created this really nice symbiotic relationship with governments where they say, hey, we'll save you the capital expenditure. You don't have to put the tolls on yourself. We'll build the roads for you. We'll build new off-ramps for you. All you need to do for us is either give us a new concession for a motorway or extend the current concession out another five or 10 years. Now, some of these go to 2040, 2050. Yeah. If you're a three or four year government and they say, hang on, you mean you're gonna build me a new off-ramp for nothing as long as I give you another five years that my, my successor's successor's successor has to deal with? Sure, I'll sign that contract, why wouldn't I? <laughs> so it's great yeah. for Transurban, great for the governments. Transurban know exactly yep. what they're doing. And so it's a really nice business model. I like the company, I like the assets. I wouldn't pay today's price though. I just don't think right. there's enough in the price for, for, again, if you're looking for income, we say this regularly, if I say something's a buy, I think it's a market-beating investment. Yep. So I can't say Transurban's a buy if I don't think so. But if you're looking for a income-heavy investment that was all about adding to an income portfolio, diversifying it further, not necessarily worrying about beating the market per se, then yeah, I think Transurban's a really high-quality asset to have in your portfolio. Sure. But I wouldn't buy it if I was trying to beat the market. Okay. All right. Whitney wants a view, Scott, on uh, Block. This is the uh, uh, the combined square, the, the online bank after it took over Afterpay, the merge group. And um, so the shares have been listed on the, on the Australian market only since last month, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. The good thing for this one is it's a new listing for Australia, but it's not a new listing in the US. And yeah. while we get access to Block here on the ASX as part of the takeover of Afterpay, Square's been trading in the US for years. And Afterpay is not really a massive part of the Square business. Well, we're now called Block, of course, it was rebranded. So. The good thing is we can use some of that history and look at what the business is doing and how it's operating and then turn it to the Australian listed shares because you get access just by buying on the ASX, which is kind of nice, right? You'd have to have some more US stocks we could buy on the ASX, but for now, uh, Block is one of them. I've got some concerns with the Block business model, Koshi. So the first thing we should say is that the current business model pre-afterpay and pre this crypto stuff, which we should talk about separately, was those little, if you've seen little, little white terminals that you tap with your card, yep. linked to a phone often, farmers markets, cafes, coffee vans, that yep. kind of stuff. They're doing a fantastic job of getting these devices into people's hands. They're, they're replacing or, or supplementing FPOS machines and point of sale systems. Really, really cool tech, taking the world by storm, a really great business and that's growing quite nicely. Then they buy the buy now, pay later stuff. They're doing merchant loans. They're trying to get into integrated financial services using these terminals as the way in and on a consumer level using afterpay or buy now, pay later as the way in. Again, smart strategy makes a whole lot of sense. The challenge, I guess, is the shares have fallen a very, very long way. Great news for, well, it was great news for afterpay shares if you took the price back at 150 bucks because it meant you got out when the share price was high. The block share price itself has fallen meaningfully. The extra bit I wanna talk about very quickly is crypto. So Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Square and the founder, also the same Jack Dorsey of Twitter fame, by the way, yep. is all in on crypto. That's either great or terrible, depending on where crypto goes next. And so the reason, think about block, right? Block as in blockchain. Uh, Jack is saying very clearly, this is not just you know payments in the US dollars or Australian dollars. We're all in on crypto, which might be great or might be a colossal waste <laughs> of time. It's, it's, it's important because the, the fortunes of the company are kind of tied to the uptake of this because they're spending so much money doing it. I like the Square business. I like the Afterpay business. I don't love it from a financial advisor's perspective, but from, a, from an investor's yeah. perspective, it's got lots of legs to go. So I like both those businesses. I don't think I'd get to buy Square at the current price. I got a block at the current price. It's just there's too much uncertainty. The shares were already very expensive at 
literally a price that was triple this price, so even though it's fallen by the best part of two thirds, I'd still give it a miss. You're paying a very high PE, 55 times earnings, something like that, for a business that hasn't yet shown it can outgrow these growing pains. Definitely one for the watch list, mate, because this could triple very quickly if it starts to show some signs of traction. Mm. So I'd be watching the announcement super closely, and if and when it shows some growth out of either or both the old Square business or the Afterpay business, and it can combine that value to start really delivering on the top and bottom lines, then it may well be worth a purchase. It could also, by the way, crash and burn. So uh, one to put on the watch list, but I wouldn't buy yet. All right, Gary? Yeah, look, it is a risky business, obviously, high growth there. Um, Interesting stat, actually, is uh, I think um, William William and Neil's got this sort of stat on like leading stocks, so basically stocks that have that super growth there. Is that the average sort of super growth stock when they're when they go into a bear market, uh, they'll crack 75%. So although um, Square's you know, down two thirds, that, that seems like a large correction. They, yeah. they can definitely go a lot further. Sure. Um, okay. So can convert. The, the interesting thing there on the chart, if you actually look at the US chart, um, so Scott's right, we've had a massive fall there. The, the, it's come back to $100 um, in US dollar terms, and that's the 2018 sort of high. So before I got to, you know, close to what, 300, yep. um, that was the old high there. So oftentimes old highs can become sort of support zones. That's an area, you know, it's also the you know, big sort of key number as well for market there. So it's a bit of a price zone here where you might see some support here, right. but you'd want to see a little bit of support here before. If it we, doesn't get a support here, yeah, could go then a bit it looks higher. ugly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. look, I, I have a view that uh, the NASDAQ's really only had its first leg down, and right. I think there's another leg down in the right. market, so that makes me a little bit nervous about there. But um, Scott could be right. This could be one business to be buying. Maybe this is this is the business to be buying in June. But uh, yeah, the crypto does worry me as well. I'm not. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that there's eight thousand different crypto coins out there yeah. tells me that's possibly the greatest asset bubble of all of all time. Yeah. So, well, yeah. as I often say, I have no idea whether crypto is the greatest investment of a generation or the greatest investment scam of a generation. And so if I don't understand yeah. it, I've got to stay out of it. People say, oh, you're a dinosaur, dinosaur culture. It's all about blockchain. I know blockchain, I yeah. like blockchain, but cryptos. I think it's uh, going to. I think it's going to put tulips in the in the cupboard for yeah. a long time. Okay. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right. Um, Fran wants a view, uh, Gary, on Piedmont Lithium, the uh, uh, the lithium uh, explorer and developer. Uh, Tesla did a deal with them um, a year ago and sort of set the share price alight. I noticed uh, Piedmont have delayed their supply contract to Tesla. Uh, since then, or yeah. What do you think of Piedmont? North, North sort of Carolina, North Carolina oh, operations there, yes. so U.S. based. So, look, I just, I'm just kind of wary of the sector. We've really had some massive um, appreciation and um, share prices with, um, with with a lot of these commodities, particularly in that sort of you know, lithium space. So, we've just seen with a lot of the um, commodity stocks, they really have this massive run, and when they look overbought, but they go even further, and then. Then all of a sudden, when when they do correct, they really correct with some gusto. So, mm. um, I just think there's some risk here, the downside, and we've already got two or three lower highs already set up on the chart. We're sort of starting to trend down. So, right. I'm not seeing any sort of supporting price action here on you know, at the moment. So, to me, this is trending down, and I, I think it's probably going to go a bit lower. I think vowels are still pretty high. Yeah. Still a lot of upside price in the, you know, and these things, the these sort of gains or um, yeah. 
these sort of sales and stuff they will probably will take years to sort of filter through so yeah. we often yeah. the market market often gets ahead of itself yeah um, so even a business like Fortescue you know you know got way ahead of itself you know in, in you know, and then it corrected like like 60 percent yeah um, and then it, then it goes again you know so I just think we're in the same sort of phase here I think these lithium stocks can cool off a bit further maybe there's another leg later on but right now I think they're all gonna drift off here and go lower mm. uh, Scott yeah, I don't love lithium stocks. Koshi, you know this and, uh, and your yeah. viewers know this as well. It, it, it's just such an incredibly difficult market. And there's so much sentiment in this one. To Gary's point, it could harbor double from here. Like there's, you know, and, and on nothing more than pure sentiment. Now, if you're a long-term investor, you're looking at it saying, what does the long-term bring you? The challenge for all investors in commodities, including lithium, is what will the price be in five years' time? Not what will the demand be, what will the price be? And people who are saying, well, a lot more EVs, therefore higher price, yeah, maybe. Uh, I said before, but over the course of the last century, oil consumption went through the roof, up millions of percentage points. The oil price roughly doubled in real mm. terms after inflation. So you say, well, hang on, lots of it's going to be used. Yes, the price merely doubles. If you bought it saying the price, the you know, volume's going up a million times, therefore the price will go up by 5, 6, 10, 20, 50 times, you are sorely disappointed. So if you're looking at lithium now, looking at Peter on lithium and saying, well, I think there'll be a lot more of it required in five years' time, I completely agree with you. But I can't tell you what the price will be because we don't know what the supply response will be for every miner who says, I'd like some of this, please. The same applies with most commodities over time. They're super they, they super fluctuate. But over time, what happens? You want to be pricing these guys on the combination of their marginal cost and the share, and the, the commodity price times the volume, right? Really straightforward. Yeah. No one can tell me the answer of that with lithium. And so <laughs> it is one that I get is exciting. Again, if you if you get lucky, you buy it, you might double your money. You'll say, Phillips, you're an idiot. And fair enough. Um, but if you double your money just because people get more excited about lithium, then you just got lucky because you happen to pick the sentiment, which is fine. Uh, but as, as a fundamental investor saying, where does it look like it's going from here? I just don't know. There's no one who can tell you with any certainty at all. They can guess, mm. but a guess is a guess is a guess. Uh, I would be buying people on lithium right now. Okay. Uh, Kane wants a view, Scott, on Avita Medical. They're in the, uh, it's a medical technology company in the regenerative medicine space. Uh, Resell is their uh, their big product, which is like a, a spray on skin for uh, for burns victims. Um, what do you think of Avita? Yeah, I love this. I love this company. I love the product. It, it's just the idea of spray on skin is just super cool. Think about burns victims or people that require uh, new skin. It's just an amazing, amazing technology, which is which is fantastic. The challenge for investors in Avita, we mentioned CSI the biotechs before, is. There's just not a lot yet of delivery, profit-wise, for a company like Avita. Now, I keep saying it, but this is one of those situations where you can look at this and say, I think at some point this might be something, and you might be absolutely right. We've seen plenty of other businesses, though, even successful or successful-ish biotech or even just general medtech businesses who move into this space and say, we can solve this problem. Even if the solution is real, even if the market likes it, you gotta ask yourself, how long does it take to make some profit? And in the meantime, what other solutions are there? Now, Polynova is a competitor of them all. Mm. There's already in that same space, different technology, but the same kind of idea. I can guarantee you there's another two dozen companies around the world trying to solve the problem of replacing skin, particularly for burns victims, but for others as well. Um, and the best solution will probably out over time. Doesn't necessarily mean it's winner takes all, but generally the way these things tend to work is the medical professionals find a standard, a, a gold standard, if you like, and say, that is our, that is our standard solution. That is our standard treatment. We know with, with uh, cholesterol, it was Lipitor, for example, became the drug, the wonder drug that solved the problem. 
uh, plenty of others you can name besides. And if and when the you know, Avita becomes that technology and has a size of market and uptake, it can be worth, you can put a couple of zeros on the share price, quite yeah. honestly. On the flip side, if it takes too long to get there, then your return gets meaningfully reduced. And if it doesn't get there because others get there first or get there better, then you're in real trouble. It's a really promising business. I like the sales momentum. I like the growth in its core operation. I like the growth internationally doing a really, really good job. I want to see some transmission from, from sales growth to profit growth. Mm. And at that point, I'd definitely be considering buying it. So okay. keep it on your watch list for sure. Just too early to buy it yet. Gary? This is one of the ugliest charts I've seen, actually. So, <laughs> so I mean, this was this was seventeen dollars. Um, yep. Only what two thousand and twenty. So we've gone from wow. seventeen down to sort of under two fifty here. Jeez. So uh, yeah. it's had a horrific sort of sell-off there. Um, so we've got one hundred eighty-five mil market cap. Uh, I saw the the second quarter of twenty-one revenue was seven mil. So to say, you know, you know say twenty-eight mil revenue for the year. So we're you know trading just under what, what nine times revenue or something so there's been a few approvals actually come through which sound kind of positive for the stock but the share price just keeps going lower and lower and lower yep. here so totally total unloved here so um there's even a couple of broker valuations which are way way higher than, right. than the current share price so it makes no sense here but there's just relentless pressure uh, on the way down for the stock at the moment so there's yep. nothing technically like it was it looks pretty ugly so the best thing I can say is that it really, it's, it's, it's I mean, starting to look a little bit interesting from a valuation point of view, but the chart is, you know, it's all one-way traffic at the moment. It's really been just strong selling. So it looks like everyone's starting to give up right. on their stock here, right. which, you know. Gee, so that makes it hard to turn it around, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it might just, might take a while, but um, yeah, just probably start to watch that. I'll be watching the revenue line, so just see if they can start to increase there. Look, I know there'll be with obviously COVID there and elective surgery and stuff, it's, it, that's disrupted a lot of these sort of um, sort of style yep. products. So maybe we'll get a shift here once, you know, uh, elective yep. surgery start to open up. So, but yeah, it's not um, great business, looks interesting, but um, but oh, totally out of, out of love at the right. moment. So, okay. yeah. All right, uh, watch it. Uh, uh, it could be the ugly duckling that turns around if it starts to get some revenue. Yeah. Uh, something a bit more conservative. Uh, Gary Daniel wants a view on APA Group, our final stock. Uh, it's a bit like the Transurban for um, uh, for gas, though. Instead of owning toll roads, they own pipelines to ship gas around the company and click the ticket. Yeah, that's right. So I think the return on equity... Um what, 8 to 18% the last few years, and that's really depending on probably where you buy the stock. I think yeah. the return on capital is between 5 and 7 for like the last 10 years, so doesn't make a lot of returns each year. Right. So really, the, the only time to buy these stocks is when they're on the knees. Um, and we've sort of bounced here from, what, 8.20 up to 10.20, 10.40 here recently, so yeah. I don't think it's a great time to buy it. I don't really like the stock generally. Um, I'd look at it if it was really undervalued, which it's not. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a definite no okay. for me. Scott? I don't mind APA, I have to say, Koshi. Um, the, again, this is one of those income stocks that I think is interesting. 5.2% yield, uh, not frank, so just bear that in mind, but a really nice yield for a very stable business. Um, again, really expensive on an earnings basis at 33 times earnings, so you've got to ask yourself, do I expect meaningful growth there? Probably not. It's also interesting, APA is probably riskier than it might have otherwise been in the past, because it, well, potentially riskier, let me say that because there are talks that it might be involved in potentially buying other assets, 
which is not necessarily an unreasonable thing for a business to do. But if you're buying a, a stable, slow you know, gas pipeline infrastructure business, because that's what you want, you want the income from it. If you hear that they maybe they're looking to buy some other stuff, maybe leverage the balance sheet, maybe not. Uh, how much they're going to pay? What are they going to buy? So there's a little bit more uncertainty than there might otherwise be in a business like this. Okay. But if you like a 5.2% yield, and frankly, who doesn't when rates are still low, and even if they go up in the next six months, they're still going to be very, very low. Um, I don't mind APA for income. So again, would I, would I buy it to beat the market? No, I absolutely wouldn't. Would I put it in an income portfolio to, to give me some nice diversified income? Yeah, I probably would. And if you think about, talk about Coles, talk about Transurban, talk about APA, um, those are three businesses that really start to be decent mm. income stocks if you're looking for an income portfolio. Okay. Again, you can get income just by selling out performing stocks as well. So I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. But if you're looking for income, APA is definitely one you should have on your shortlist. If you're looking to beat the market, the APA is not probably the stock for you. Okay. All right. Uh, we got a dash. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Always great to see you. Love following you on Twitter, though, as well. Uh, Scott wades Thanks, into uh, a lot of issues, <laughs> puts <laughs> himself out there. I love it. It's very entertaining. Good to see Thank you, mate. mate. Enjoy the rest of the week. Gary Glover from uh, Novus Capital, always great to have you, you in here at the Brangaroo Studios. Uh, let's recap the final five stocks. Uh, Transurban, a no from both Gary and Scott. If it got down to around $12, then Gary would uh, take a look at it. Uh, no on Block. Uh, Piedmont, a no. Abita, a no. APA, a no from Gary for Scott. Um, would only consider it for an income portfolio. If you'd like to... Uh, Click us any stocks to cover here on the call. Put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the osbiztv handle. You can check out all the stocks in the call's fantasy portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.